Good morning. Our first reading today will be from the book of Matthew, chapter 10, verses 32 through 39. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. If you would, turn to Genesis chapter 12. And I want to read verses 1 through 9. Genesis 12, 1 through 9. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country, and from your relatives, and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions, which they had accumulated, and the persons which they have acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and thus they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Moreh. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your descendants, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and he called upon the name of the Lord. Abram journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. This is the word of the Lord. This morning, um, you know, we think think about this. Uh, What I'm about to talk to you about is what we do every time we walk in the door. So the outline, I'm going to tell you something. It's 10 points long. I don't ever preach a 10-point sermon. But you know what? You're going to forgive me because every one of the points is in this thing right here we call the order of service. The liturgy. Now, we've had this fun time with Mr. Uh, Gardner because Mr. Gardner's been calling this table out here the liturgy liturgy table (laughs) instead of the literature table. But we have a liturgy, and really it has more than 10 points. But I'm going to go through 10, and I promise you it's not 10 points like till next week, okay? (laughs) But what are we doing? When we come and worship, I mean, we come in here and we go through a liturgy 
And, you know, the people who say, well, we don't have a liturgy. Oh, yeah, you do. You, everybody has a liturgy. What are we doing when we come in here and we worship God? Why are we doing what we're doing? Well, I want to assure you there's a rhyme and there's a reason to what we do. And, in fact, we were sitting here last week as men. We're sitting here going, you know, we're supposed to always be reforming our worship. And we were talking about some things that maybe the church has left out in the, over the past, uh, you know, 100 years. We could actually maybe get it more biblical. But our goal is to do things according to God's prescription. Our goal is to do things in the right manner. And so we look in the Bible and we ask this question, how did the people of God worship God in the Old Testament as they were looking for the Savior who was to come? And how do the people in the New Testament worship this Lord who has already come, Jesus Christ, the Old Testament, New Testament, touching Christ in the middle? How do we worship God? What does the Bible say about our liturgy? What should we do? And so we also look at church history as well. And so we look at this approach as we come to worship God on this side of the cross. What, are, what is the way? And there is a way. And it's consistent in the Old Testament. And it's consistent in the New Testament. It's just on which side of the cross are you on. So let's just think really quickly as an, in, as a, as an intro. We can begin to think about our worship as we see God redeem the children of Israel out of Egypt. Why did he do it? Why does he redeem the children of Israel out of Egypt? Do you know why? <laughs> Here's the answer. He wanted a worshiping people. He wanted people to come to Mount Sinai and he wanted them to worship. And this is what he says. You shall have no other gods before me, only me. No graven images. You are to re reverence my name, my word, my works. Those are some things from the children's catechism. You and I are to reverence God and we're to do it on his day. Now, these are the things. God wants us to worship Him. Well, uh, how? What's the way? Well, there's something really interesting, and there's something in the Bible called Exodus. Once you get to chapter 24, it doesn't stop there. Have you all ever read chapter 25? Chapter 25, Exodus chapter 40. Oh, the most painful, some of the most painful things you're going to ever read in your life. You know why? Because it's all about building a tabernacle. It's all about building something that's going to be put up. It's all about building something that's going to be taken down. It's all about this tabernacle and all these pieces and all these parts and all these little things that these guys made. And you think to yourself, wow, sure, I'm glad I'm only reading one chapter of this a day. And you know, get through it in 20-something, 20, 20 I mean, you know, 15, 16 chapters. And you think to yourself, why is that there? Well, let me tell you why it's there. It's very important. It's painful as painful as it is to read. It's there for a reason, because God is telling us something. God is telling us, I'm going to live among my people. I'm going to, listen, tabernacle with my people. I'm going to be among them. And so then you go and you say to yourself, well, why in the world do I need the book of Leviticus? Well, let me tell you why. Because Leviticus helps us to understand how we come before this God who is with us, this God who's tabernacling among us. Does this sound New Testament enough to you guys? You hear me? And so how do I approach this God who is tabernacling with me as we, we move through the wilderness? Well, we are to worship God with a sacrifice. That's what Leviticus is all about. Go read it. Sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. How do we come to God? We come through a sacrifice. And so here we are. We come to the New Testament, and we find out that we too are sinners, and we have broken the Ten Commandments. And how can we worship the one true and living God? Well, God has provided for you and me a sacrifice, the final sacrifice, who is Jesus Christ. And so he's gone to the cross for us. He's opened up a way into the presence of God for us as we trust 
in him. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to do something that probably sounds really strange, but I want to do something. I want to look at the elements of our liturgy from the life of Abraham. I'm going to trace it all the way back to Abraham. Now, not every one of the elements of our worship is found in the, the Abraham materials, we might call them. And so where, there's, where those things are not present, we'll pull those out from other parts of the Bible. But even from the life of Abraham, we can see the most important elements of worship. Our first element of worship is the salutation. Now, back up just a second. What does it say there? So, Mr. Larson, he talks about welcome, he talks about announcements, and then he leads us in a prayer upon entering the sanctuary, preparing our hearts. And then the minister comes up and says, we need help, the help of the maker of the heavens and the earth. And then there's the salutation. Where does that come from? Well, the apostle of Jesus Christ, in every letter he writes to the churches, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, every one of these, he says this. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. That's not something I made up. That's not something that a whole bunch of good guys made up and thought that would be really cool to say. This is something that the church has received from the Apostle Paul. So you and I, we hear this greeting. It starts our worship. You are the church. You are God's people, and God greets you with grace. Grace is sovereign. And so you are saved by grace. And then as a result of this grace through faith we have in Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. And so we have peace between ourselves and God. We could talk about reconciliation for a few minutes. No more war between myself and God. I'm at peace with God. I'm at peace in my heart. And hopefully, Lord help us, as we get older, don't we fight against difficulties with peace? <laughs> but we work at peace with our families. We work at peace in our church family. So the first thing, the first element is salutation. The second element, everybody knows, is the call to worship. Well, there's a call to worship in the Abraham materials. God calls Abraham in Genesis 11, at the very last part of Genesis 11, to leave Ur of the Chaldees, to leave the grand city, to leave the family connections, to leave all the idols, to leave all his former worship, to leave all, listen, I think one of the things we don't remember, to leave all the connections. When you move and you go somewhere else, Oh, man, that's when you find out you lose some connections, right, Brother Brian? I don't, I don't have a doctor who loves me like I did, you know. i got to go find a new doctor to love me. I don't have these connections. And so here's Abraham. He leaves. God promises to him, if you go, I want you to go to the land of Canaan. I'm going to promise you land. I'm going to promise you that you'll become a great nation. You're going to be protected. I'm going to make your name great, and I'm going to make you a blessing to every single family on the face of the earth. So here is the father of the children of Israel. God calls him to worship him alone. Isn't it interesting? New Testament, Old Testament. Old Testament, New Testament. Seek first his kingdom, and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And Abraham leaves. He goes to the land of promise. Every time we come and we worship God, we are to worship God after He calls us. We put aside our normal routine of living. We put aside our normal recreations. We put it all aside and we come to worship God alone. No other gods before Him. 
No graven images in our homes, no graven images created in our hearts. We're to reverence him, worship him on his day. Even if it means that our loved ones will wonder, do you hate me because you won't come to my party today? Even if our families interpret our love for God as if we don't like them anymore. Or we're somehow hating them. That's what we just read in that passage in Matthew chapter 10. But we come and we worship God at His call. We put things aside and we come. And this is what you have done. Here you are. Third, our response to, is a, a response of prayer and praise. So Abraham leaves. And what does he do? Did you remember what we read in that passage? He went sojourning through the land. And what does he do? He gets to a place and pitches a tent. After he pitches a tent, he builds an altar. And after he builds an altar, he calls on the name of the Lord. This is what we find him doing. And so while he's doing this, while he's worshiping God, the one true and living God reveals himself to Abraham. And Abraham finds out that God is El Shaddai, Almighty God. God reveals himself as Yahweh and Elohim and God Most High and Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. And every time he prays, he has a deeper understanding of who God is because God's letting him in on some secrets about himself as he worships. And you and I, we come at the call of, to worship, and we come and we pray, and we praise. We're not making, well, you know, I was, I was fixing to say, it, we're not really pitching tents, and we're not really building altars, but it sure looks like we do sometimes, doesn't it, guys? Man, I mean, we're close to the Old Testament right now. Here it is. And at the end of the night, we all go, oh my, here we go again. But... But this is our place, and you're the people, and you're the assembly, and you're the building, the, you're the church. And so here we are, we come and we praise God and we worship God, and guess what? He's given us the name that's above all names, the name that's higher than better than all the names, the name that at every knee, Jesus, every knee on this earth, every knee will bow to this name, Jesus Christ. Just as God revealed himself in various names to Abraham, God has given us the ultimate name, Jesus' name, and we're going to bow before him. We'll call upon him as our Lord. And so, just as he left out of Ur the Chaldees, God calls us out of our sins and our trespasses. He calls us into this new world, the kingdom of God, and we're to live for Jesus. Now, let's just, just a little, this is a little caveat. Have you noticed that everything we're talking about comes right out of the Bible? One man years ago put it like this. He says, every one of the elements of our worship is pinned by the Holy Spirit. So we're not doing anything. We're not making anything up. This is covenantal worship. This is, I don't, I don't use this word very much, dialogical. Because we don't use it all the time, do we? But we know what it means. It means talking back and forth. And so God calls me out of this, my world, my normal routines, and we come and we prepare and we worship, and then we hear, we pray to God, and we say, God, give us the Holy Spirit because we are the ones who wander and are weak, and God gives us His strength, and we begin to sing. This is the pattern, back and forth, back and forth. Do you, do you, are you with me? Are you with me? This is what's going on, back and forth. God to you, us back to God. Fourth, fourth element, our confession of sins. 
Throughout the scriptures, we're taught to confess our sins. And we know 1 John 1, 9, you hear the preacher say that. When you hear Psalm 32, you hear Psalm 38, you hear Psalm 51. What prompts us to confess our sins? The law of God does. We have that, we call it scriptural exhortation. But the law of God, it prompts us. We read it, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sins. Sins of what? You know, we have those two words. We like to use those words. Omission and commission. Omission, things we should have done that we left undone. And then those sins of commission where we go and we do things that God has prohibited us from, that we went ahead and crossed the line anyway. And so we confess our sins. Now, in the narrative of Abraham, you remember he's moving. And one of the verses I didn't read to you, and I'm just, I'm just going to point it out here. He comes to the Negev in verse 9, and it says in verse 10, there was a famine in the land. <laughs> Big question here. Will he stay in the land of promise or will he go down? Will he stay in the land of promise or will he go down to Egypt? Well, let me tell you something. There might be one exception. Anytime God's people go down to Egypt, it's always a problem. Anytime. And so he's got a question. Do I stay in the land that God's given to me? Promised? Take care of me here or do I go down to Egypt? Well, we all know what he did. He had a faith failure. He goes down for greener pastures. He goes down to the Nile Delta. He goes down there. And guess what happens while he's there? He lies about his wife. He almost loses his wife to Pharaoh's harem. And then Pharaoh comes to him and rebukes him to his face and boots him back out of Egypt. God uses Pharaoh to kick him back out of Egypt. What does he do? <laughs> well, you know what he does? Listen. He goes back to the same, the last place he was obedient. He goes back to the Negev. He goes back to the last place he pitched a tent. Back to the last place he uh, built, had built an altar and called on the name of the Lord. He begins to, what's that word we use? Do we say repent or maybe we should say retrace our steps back to obedience? That's what he's doing. And he goes back to every one of those places. He pitched a tent. He built an altar. And he called on the name of the Lord. And he's retracing himself back to the places of obedience. He's repenting of his sins. And that's what we do when we confess our sins. We're doing the same thing. We come, we, come, we see our sins. We agree with God tonight. Come for that sermon. We agree with God against ourselves that we have sinned. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. And we repent of our sins. We confess our sins. And then after that, the law of God is spoken to us. We're convicted of our sins. We're retracing our steps back to obedience. And then we hear that assurance of pardon. The Lord has taken away your sin. That's what prophet Nathan said to David. The Lord has taken away your sin. Do you believe that when you hear that from the pulpit? The Lord has buried your sins in the deepest sea. The Lord has separated your sins from you as far as the east is from the west. The Lord remembers your sins against you no more. Do you believe it? God is for you. No one can be against you. Why be afraid? He is the one who's protecting you. This is your assurance. Every one of us who retraces our steps. Every one of us who puts our faith and trust in Jesus. Now, here we are. Listen to this. Listen to this before we ever get to the sermon. We've just heard the gospel of Jesus Christ before we ever get to the sermon. You with me? Oh, oh, what, what's the preacher preach? 
He's supposed to preach Christ crucified. Well, we already got there before we even get to the preacher. You with me? <laughs> we already hear the law. We're convicted of our sins. We confess our sins. And Jesus says, come to me and he will give us rest from our sins. Just a little thought there. We don't even, we don't even get to the sermon yet. And we've already heard the gospel. Element five, confession of faith. This is another part of Abraham's life. I'm going to show you in just a second. But we just did it. We, we do it with the Nicene Creed. We do it with the Apostles' Creed. Uh, I've done, I've read through parts of the Westminster Confession of Faith on Sunday mornings at times. That's our big confession. And Brother Randy, when he came up here, he read that Matthew 10, 32. If you confess me before men, we have every single person who joins our church confess their faith before the congregation. And so we confess our faith during the service. In Genesis 15, if you go read that, Abraham's afraid. And let me tell you, there's reasons to be afraid in the land of Canaan. Let me tell you why. Because there's all these warring parties. There's all, with, all these marauding bands of men who are going out there and they're testing each other's power and they want to see who's got the power. They want to keep their position. So there's all these reasons to be afraid. And so God comes to him and promises him that I'm going to keep you and you're going to have a son from your own loins. And we're told in Genesis 15, 6, where the famous, the famous verse of the Bible, Abraham believed God. This is God's commentary on what happened. Abraham believed God. It doesn't say, and God said, I believe in God. It says, Abraham believed God. This is God's commentary on what happened. Abraham believed God and was reckoned to him as righteousness. And so this is what's going on. The word believed in, in the Hebrew is amen, and it means yes. Yes, I believe. Yes, I believe in the promises of God. Yes, I believe that you're going to do what you said you're going to do. Yes, I believe he confessed that. And every time the pastor says, Church of the living God, what do you believe? You're saying, yes, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, etc., 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 you're doing exactly what he did. He did this in how long ago? 1800 B.C. This is what the church does. This is what we do. I believe in Jesus. I believe he's the greatest promise. I believe he's the final seed of Jesus Christ, I mean of, of Abraham. And I believe he's the one who's come to die on a cross to keep me from a fiery judgment. Well, that's number five. Number six, the giving of tithes and offerings. Oh, yeah, we have to talk about this part. Now, we talked about this last Sunday afternoon. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, it says, What do you have that you did not first receive? All, of, all, of, all that you and I have. Every breath that we have. All the power that we have to make wealth. It comes from God. And we find this too in Abraham. Now, think about this. In Genesis 14, to talk about what's going on in the land of Canaan, here's a little snippet. Now, you go read chapter 14 today by yourself, and you come back and you tell me what you think. Because, man, you read it, it'd take you about 10 times to get it right. Okay? Well, let me tell you what's going on. Four kings against five. And these four kings come against five kings, and they're all trying to see who's got the power. And these four kings defeat these five kings. And, these, one, and one of these five kings is the king of Sodom. And guess who has moved into Sodom? Lot, Abraham's brother, when they had the little division going on in chapter 13. 
Uh, Lot went down towards Sodom and eventually Lot moved into Sodom. And so now king of Sodom has been taken captive by these four kings. And so Abraham finds out about it. And Abraham, all of a sudden, Mr. Quiet, Mr. Nobody, Mr. Nobody knows his name. He rises up, he takes 314 men, and he goes out and he conquers all those four guys, those four kings, and he takes his, his uh, relative out of that captivity. <laughs> and after he does that, Melchizedek shows up on the scene. Somebody, no, no, where did he come from? We're not told where he, he came from. I think we have an idea where he came from. And so he comes out of nowhere, the priest of Salem, the priest of the God Most High, and he blesses Abraham, and Abraham gives to him a tenth of everything he has. A little bit later in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the Apostle Paul writes that on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, we are to put aside and save as we may prosper for the saints. Here's a man who gave this tenth. I think it's a starting place. So we see the covenant relations. We see God giving him the ability to get his uh, relative back. And now he gives in worship a part. Now, here's the thing that you need to remember when you give. When this comes in front of you, you put something in it, whatever you put in it, you can't help yourself. Why do you put something in it? You put something in it in order to show that you're given a piece, a part of what you've been given, but it's a representation of yourself. You're to give yourself. This is just a piece of you that represents all of you. So when you give, this is what's supposed to be in your hearts. A living and holy sacrifice. Not a dead sacrifice, a living sacrifice, burning up on the altar for God. This is what that represents. Now, seven. Prayers. I'm, I'm moving. I'm moving. I told you I would move. Back and forth, right? Back and forth. Call to worship. We come here. We get in our cars. We put our faces on. We shave our face. We get here, don't we? And then we pray, and then we praise, and then we hear God's law, and then we confess our sins, and we hear this assurance of pardon, and then we confess our faith, and we sing the, you know, the glory of pottery, and we love it, and then we give, and now here we are to pray a prayer for the covenant community. And so the, the writer of Hebrews tells us that we to, we're to come to a throne of grace. Jesus is always praying for us, never, never ceasing to pray for us, and we are called to pray. And what do we pray? Have you ever noticed? Always have an outline. Um, I, I'm going to tell you. What, let, me, let me tell you what we're taught to do. Now, I didn't read it. But I thought about it. I thought about what to pray over this congregation today. And why do we do that? Because we're not, I'm not just make, I'm make, not making stuff up. I'm think, we think about these things. And so we pray about the congregation. We pray for those in authority. We pray for those who need to be saved. We pray for the gospel to go forward. We pray for disciples to be made and disciples to be baptized and disciples to be taught. And we plead for God to sanctify our hearts. We pray for you to be, to be changed and converted into the very image of Jesus Christ. And then I do something in, in my prayer for the covenant community. I always put the prayer of illumination uh, during that prayer. Now, some people would pray that prayer right before they preach. But it's there. Lord, open up our eyes and we might behold wonderful things 
from your law. Now, the word's preached. Here we are, element number eight. The word is preached. Finally getting to the preaching part. We've already had a whole mess of sermon preached to us before we even get here, right? And so God spoke directly to Abraham. He gave him words and he gave him insights and he taught him about himself. And so then we see in the Old Testament we have all these men called prophets who are pointing to Jesus. And we finally see Jesus come on the earth. We see him growing up. We see him fulfilling every part of it. He's the final word of God speaking to us in the scriptures. There he is. He's the final prophet. And so then he gives to us those apostles who lay down their writings in the New Testament. And those men, when they pass off the scene, the word of God ceases as far as it being written anymore. But we, those men, hand the baton of the word of God over to ordinary men like Titus and like Timothy. And they begin to preach and then the baton's handed off to another generation until you get down to poor little old me and other men, right? And so the pastor, he comes and he preaches Christ to you so that you might be what? Converted. You need to hear the gospel. You need to hear it every single time you come in the building. Every single time so that you might be converted and so that you might be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And the pastor's goal is to equip you for ministry. The view of this whole thing is to equip you and mature you for use in Jesus' kingdom. In the days of the Reformation, the Word of God was placed on a high pulpit. Now, I've got a lot of illustrations, but I'll just give the one that I know in my own heart. When we went to New Zealand, we went, uh, there was a high pulpit in New Zealand. And I had to walk how many stairs to get to the top? <laughs> I think it was a whole flight, maybe 22. And you get to the top, and the Bible's open up there on top of that pulpit. And they're saying something just by the way it looks in there. They're saying the Bible's over the preacher. The Bible's over the organist. The Bible's over the congregation. The Bible's over everything. It's the authority. And so we, we, we uh, draw all of the elements of worship out of our scriptures. And it's so easy when we come to the preaching to stress the wrong thing. Now let me, let me, let me tell you some of the things people stress today. We stress personal devotions to the neglect of worship. We know people who do that. We stress the sermon to the neglect of all the other elements of worship. Here's what happens. People rush in at, at 1020. Just a few minutes. They know the sermon's going to start up. We got to have the sermon. Got to have the sermon. What about the call? What about preparation? What about confessing? Well, no, no, we got to have the sermon. Got to be fed. I've heard that one for a long time. Other people stress the music to the ne- neglect of all the other elements of worship. And maybe they'll slide in a little sermonette, five minutes, six minutes, a little, little something. But you see, the worship, now, now there's no doubt the sermon is going to take a significant portion of the service but not to the neglect of all the other parts. It's the worship of God, all the pieces and all the parts, and we definitely need a sermon to preach to us what we've already heard at the end of the assurance of pardon, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, finally, we're coming up to 9 and 10, the sacraments. Why does the minister baptize people, and why do we sit and eat little pieces of bread and drink little cups of wine? Why do we do that? Did you know that's in the Abraham materials as well? 
So Abraham believes God in Genesis 12, and Abraham believes God in Genesis 15, and in Genesis 17, God comes to him and gives him the sign and seal of the old covenant. What is that? It's circumcision. And so Abraham receives the sign and seal of the covenant after he believed. Right? It's very important. After he believed. And so this sign and seal of the covenant, this bloodshedding that was, takes place in his body, it preaches to him what's already true in his heart. He already has faith. And then, after that, he is to go to his little ones. And he is to place that sign and seal of the covenant into their bodies before they believe. And after that, he teaches them that this blood, this shedding of blood, points to the fact that they must be saved only through a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice. And he's to teach them to put their trust and faith in the promises of God. Now, as you turn to the New Testament, circumcision is replaced by baptism. Now, why would that be? Why, why do we not need any more blood shedding? Well, the Bible tells us Jesus' blood's the final blood. It's, it's all, no more blood necessary. Perfect blood already done. It's a done deal. Now you can do, use water. Water is the new sign and seal of the new covenant. And so now you and I, as we, as men and women, maybe you weren't, did not grow up in the church and you come to faith in Jesus Christ, well, you know what? You need to be baptized. And that water that's placed on you, just like Abraham, it pointed to Abraham that he already had faith. When you're an adult and you put your faith in Christ, that water says, hey, this is true in my soul. I profess this is true in my soul. And then parents of believers are to take their little ones and give the sign and seal to their little ones. Why do we do that? We don't do that because we believe it saves them. We do that because we believe it preaches something to them. And we are to remind them of that water on some regular basis, which we do, that they need Jesus to cleanse them with his blood. That water preaches that blood. That water preaches the cleansing away of sins. And young people, put your faith and trust in what that water preaches. We need verbal sermons that go in our ears, and we need visible sermons that go in our eyes. That's what we see with water. Well, let's look at the Lord's Supper. We, we'll get through this really quick. And, you know, we talk about this on a regular basis, so one paragraph will do for today, right? When you take that bread, when you take that wine, and you eat it and you drink it, what are you doing? You're taking what Jesus gives you, and you're taking it into you by faith. He spiritually says, I'm going to feed you, and you take him by faith, and you take it in, and you appropriate Jesus Christ afresh and anew because you need, just like all those guys that run those marathons. Have you seen that guy that ran that two-hour marathon? There's a guy that's run a two-hour marathon. But did you know all along the way that guy's running that 15, 16 miles an hour? You know how many, how many times he got something to drink? You know how many times he got some calories? Well, this is what we're doing when we take the Lord's Supper. We need the grace. Just like physical strength, is, uh, food is needed for physical strength, we need spiritual food for our spiritual journey. And so we get it as we take the Lord's Supper. Well, finally, we have a benediction. Well, that's not in the Abraham materials, but it sure is in the Bible, isn't it? And so we find Aaron saying those words, the Lord bless you and keep you. Those are words, listen, that come from heaven. 
Doxologies. Go read the book of Ephesians. What does Paul do in Ephesians? <laughs> to the praise of his glory, <laughs> you know. To the praise of his glory. Talk about the Father. Talk about the Son. Talk about the Holy Spirit. To the praise of all their glory, you know. He just burst out in doxologies. But when we think about benedictions, you need to think about God's blessings coming down from heaven. That's how we end our service. Well, my goal in preaching this sermon to you on the liturgy that we use is to show you that we take the Bible seriously. From the Bible, we draw all of our elements of worship, and we worship God according to His prescription, not according to our desires. Every one of these things is found throughout the history of the church. We're doing it with people who've gone before us. We're connected to the people of God. That's a wonderful thought. Remember, you're doing something that God has been doing with His people all these years. And those people who are righteous and made perfect in heaven right now, they're doing it just a little bit better than we are because they are perfect. God, help us to worship Him with all of our hearts, with all of our minds, with all of our souls, and with all of our strength. Let's pray. Amen. Father, we thank you for an opportunity to just look at why we do what we do. And Lord, we praise you that you draw us into a relationship calling us. And we get to respond showing us our sin and we get to confess and know that we're forgiven and confessing our faith and singing and giving of ourselves, not just money, but our whole bodies and our whole soul. And Lord, we get to hear you speak to us in your word. And Lord, we get to hear your words as we leave saying that your countenance is on us. Help us to walk away with great enjoyment knowing we've been with you and with your people. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.